2: Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40, created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. This week's podcast comes to you from a basement by the Thames, with a dog quietly farting in the corner. But this is not just any dog. This dog is Wolfie Spicer, the subject of Lost Dog, his owner-stroke-human-slave Kate Spicer's tear-jerking memoir-come-love letter. It's also bloody funny and brilliantly, beautifully written.
3: I listened to some women of my age and it was like they never, people never sh- fucking shut up, constantly, constantly on at them. When are you going to have a baby, this, that and the other? I saw people sort of pick
2: it up with me kind of delicately and awkwardly. Ah, the baby debate. There is no one better than Kate to talk about the way child-free women are stereotyped. There's also swearing. And chemicals. And chemicals. And not just the hormone replacing kind and as you'll hear midlife women have a lot to swear about so here we are deep in the bowels of kate's publisher in central london in a room that's affectionately known as the podcast studio It's basically a cupboard in a basement very cozy me and kate's pr have been here for mm, about an hour <laughs> Kate has just rocked up, but it doesn't matter that Kate's now hour late because she's brought a friend. She's brought Wolfie. Hi, Wolfie. Woof.
3: He doesn't actually bark. He doesn't,
2: he doesn't bark. He no. doesn't do anything. But um, take my word for it, Wolfie is here and he's looking very alert. Kate. Hello. Hello. This is weird, isn't it? Kate and I have known each other a really long time because back in the day, we both worked on minks together. You were my boss. I was her boss. Yeah. And
3: um, I was—I hadn't worked very, oft, very often in my life. And was Kate's a born freelancer, shall we say. Yeah, born freelancer, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to the point where I don't even know how to dress to go to an office anymore and I avoid any
2: meeting that might take place in an office. That's fair enough, I get that. So Lost Dog, it's a book of two halves really, isn't it? The first half is about being a girl about town. I don't want to say ageing. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Oh, my God. The the ageing started
2: 20 years ago. Ageing girl about town. Yeah. um, And getting a dog. And the second half is about losing the dog and finding the dog. Yeah. But there's a fair amount in there with your family talking about how Wolfie is a baby replacement. That comes up
3: so much. When I was doing press for the book, the Telegraph made it their headline that it was a replacement child the mail online the headline was basically like you know woman finds happiness by finding baby replacement dog <laughs> and i was so upset by that i actually rang them up and asked them to change it and and weirdly they did but You know, the telegraph was in print, so people go to that constantly to the point where I was so good at deflecting that and and I would get so angry about the fact that a dog is seen as a kind of baby substitute. Actually, I stopped thinking about it. Maybe he is a bit of a baby substitute. Maybe he is. Maybe I need to admit that to myself, that we all have this kind of well of love in us and if you don't give it to a child, you can give it to an animal. I'm sure you can relate to that. You love your cat.
2: I do love my cat, weirdly, yes. <laughs> but um, you love them in a different way.
3: But, yeah, I think I think there is a certain kind of amount of parenting that goes on. But the word dog mummy is, makes me want to vomit. Uh,
2: you would never say that. Dog no. Or oh, oh, the whole fur baby. Fur baby. Oh, ba- oh God. my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> It was one of the things that struck me in the book over and over again, though, that, that sense of, like, when you're... Is it your mum or your stepmum who mutters, first child, like you can't hear?
3: Oh, my stepfather. The dog jumped on the sofa and he whispered an aside to another 75-year-old. who was going, dog's on the sofa, that's outrageous. And he said, oh. And he just raised his eyeballs and went, um, first child. And I was like, I can hear you. Oh, it's just so, it's so belittling, you
2: know. I hate to do this straight away, but they w- you wouldn't do that to a bloke with a dog. You wouldn't say, oh, well, he's got that dog because he hasn't got a baby.
3: That's a really good point. Although I think we do criticise men more than we think. It's just because they already have a position of power. It doesn't seem to undermine them in quite the straight, same way. But what it is, what they're doing when they do that is they're mocking love. They are belittling Love, which is actually what makes the world go round. Love is the top thing of everything. It's the energy that drives everything wonderful in this world. And people are mocking it and making you feel... And I feel ashamed. I do feel ashamed when people pick up on how much I love my dog. It makes me squirm and it makes me feel vulnerable. And so showing love, showing that you do love, is then used as a kind of stick to beat you with. What a bleeped-up world we live in.
2: I see people do it with with women with their kids as well. Oh, first child. It's kind of like you can't do anything right, though, because as a woman, like, you don't have... If you don't have children, like, neither you nor I have children. Yeah, Baron spinsters. Yeah, when are you going to have children? Why haven't you had children? Is there some really good reason? Because there's got to be a good reason. And then, you know, everything you do is wrong. So then you get a dog, or in my case, a cat. And then that's wrong, too.
3: People never really pick me up on not having kids, because I think I walk around feeling like I'm the most vulnerable, kind of weak, defenceless <laughs> little kitten. I've I've just started seeing a shrink, so we we've, we've been learning a lot about some of this stuff. But I have an outward-facing personality. I thought, I can't remember what the shrink word is, yeah. but I think I push out a lot of aggression to protect like the inner vulnerable thing. So. Actually, I don't think people ever dared ask me why I didn't have kids. I mean, it happened a bit, but I listened to some women of my age and it was like they never, people never fucking shut up. Constantly, constantly on at them. When are you going to have a baby, this, that and the other? I saw people sort of pick it up with me kind of delicately and awkwardly. So I never really got that. I I get more stick for how much I love the dog than I ever did for not having kids.
2: It's interesting... That you say, what did you say? That you're like a delicate, little shy person inside. Yeah. And when we... Fragile. Fragile. When we worked together, you said you were a happy, unhappy person. Yeah. now I'm, that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's like how you present. You present as scary
3: and yeah. confident. I was talking to a shrink about it. We all have these outward facing personality that just gets the, the job of life done. I think Deborah Levy's written about it. The yeah. kind of, you know, So if you're sort of like right, this, come in and you're then people are, shit's going to get done. But um, whether it gets done in the, in, the, in the right way or the way that's going to be most fulfilling or nurturing or interesting for you is uh, moot. And I think part of my responsibility as a middle-aged woman to myself is to just allow myself to be a bit more the authentic the real me, okay. rather than this kind of um, brittle, aggro monster. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not. I'm not any of those
2: things. How did you get to that point, that point of working out what you needed to be for, your, for yourself as a middle-aged person, woman? Well, it's a,
3: it's a work in progress, for sure. Mm. And I'm going to be really honest with you, actually. I did some therapy... And then I did some really, really, really strong psychedelics in very kind of controlled environments at first. And then I went to Peru and it was a slightly less controlled environment. Um, I did them, I've done them on 10, I think 10 occasions now. And that stuff brought the truth to my lap, dumped it in my lap. I lay in the fetal position for many hours and felt sick and hated myself and purged myself of a lot of self-loathing and who I want to be as a middle-aged woman is just comfortable with being me and not hiding behind an identity that suits the people around me
2: mm.
3: or I like the or I like the look of I mean if I like that identity of um being the kind of brusque get the job done, aggro, rock and roll spinster, then fine, you can be that. But if that's quite far from who you really are inside, then life's going to be quite tiring. And when you are just yourself and you're grounded, life is just great. All the time. Even when it's shit, it's great. And that's been just a a, a phenomenal epiphany for me. And totally life-changing and i don't know that the really really strong psychedelics which i took in very very safe environments by the way i don't know that they're entirely entirely where i found my truth if you like (laughs) um but it was part of it and i kind of went through a late 40s journey of self-discovery The dog was a big part of that, really big, because the dog arrived and I I gained structure in my life. I I had to get up in the morning. I was in nature. In nature, is so important connecting to who who we are. So the dog brought me into nature. The dog allowed love to rise in me. I sound like I'm from California.
2: Yeah, you do. You sound really woo-woo.
3: Yeah, but I really... The dog allowed me to feel love. And mm. and giving and receiving love is a really big part of being a human being. So the Do dog think... started a really important journey for me. Oh, my God, it just used to a journey to describe my life.
0: <laughs> and oh you God. did it
2: seriously as well. Yeah. Pre-Wolfie, you struggled with that, that you were worthy of love.
3: I think we, many, 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 many of us struggle mm. with that. And it's why a lot of relationships fail. And I think sometimes... Even if you think you're worthy of love, the person you love won't let you love them. And that is really complicated. So we're just surrounded by people who don't think they're worthy of love, who. Things happen in your childhood and, you know, psychotherapists, shamans, doesn't matter. Everybody looks back to what was that wound that. Wound?
2: <laughs> oh my
3: god oh, that
2: wound <laughs> oh my god oh, you didn't like it used to be like you'd swallow a self-help manual
3: no but because you're born you're born this beautiful open loving deep breathing fully nourished being and then you're just damaged by life
2: yeah it's like you've got that um, they
3: fuck you up your mum and dad poem in the book I mean, I mean it's just that that poem taught me more It, it that poem is worth more to me than most of the psychotherapy I've ever had. They do fuck you up. It doesn't matter how great your parents are, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They never mean to, but they do. Because they define who
2: you are. But you can take a lot of that back and rediscover yourself. I think it's really fascinating. Um, it really interesting me you, that you said just now that you feel at a point like no matter how shit things can be because I felt like that this year that it's been a really 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 shit year for me but I still feel better than I kind of ever have about no matter how crap it is what nobody tells you is that you get to this point in your life and actually it's no matter how hard it is it's still better than it ever was but you need to I do think. Worked it out. I think some people grow up a lot happier,
3: and they don't have that stuff that's holding them back from just living a big, full, happy life where they smile a lot. Do you know any of those people? Yeah, I do. I do know happy people. Uh, I do know happy people. I think, but I, th- I think some people don't have to do the work, but I think you do have to do the work. And I, I went on a, a doing a piece recently about the Wim Hof method. Do you know about that? So Wim Hof is the Ice Man, and it's all about you know packing yourself in ice and conquering the cold and controlling your breath. And the guy who was taking the course, we were up in the middle of nowhere, off grid in um, in Scotland, was really kind of doer and taciturn and. Intractable, and I just could tell he couldn't bear me. This sort of, you know, frivolous London media person who turns up, and uh, we would just, you know, we we talk, we'd all we all talked quite a lot, and I and I said something like, "God, the work never ends," and he went, "Absolutely, Kate, the work never ends," <laughs> and so this kind of grisly, sinewy, hundred percent man. Was to, he's basically talking about the fact you need to work on yourself and work on your life all the time. I mean, not every minute of every day, but you can't just sit back and let life happen to you. You have to be this re-engaged, really strong and insightful insight into yourself. What I see a lot in people is that as they get a bit older, they become very comfortable with who they are. And actually who they are is a bit annoying, a bit of a blowhard. <laughs> they know it all. I mean, I see that in myself. It's painful. It's When I see that in myself, I'm like, oh, shut up. You don't know everything. So, yeah, we need to check ourselves all the time, but in a totally brilliant, loving way, like, oh, you, and laugh at yourself, not kind of beating yourself up and hating yourself, which is what I would do in, you know, in the days when you and me were working together in the late 90s when I was doing...
2: When we were both car crashes in different ways.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was a car crash with a pint in one hand and a wrap in the other. I mean, oh... (laughs) God.
2: I'm just going to get this out there because yeah. Kate loves me mentioning this. When we worked together, Kate set fire to the office. But well, that was because so. I was working so hard.
3: Yeah, it's true. It wasn't because I was like smoking crack or anything. I worked till midnight and I was burning scented candles. we I think two years earlier, we would have been allowed to smoke in the office probably. It was yeah. That, yeah, that, that olden times. Yeah,
2: that's, that's how long ago it was. Yeah, yeah it was
3: ye old days and I was working late and I lit a scented candle and just chain smoked in the office. I mean, Can you imagine, A, chain smoking, or B, doing anything like that in the office? No. And then I left the bloody candle burning. All those fags, and I left the candle burning. And it was the most awful thing ever to come in and just see this black hole where my office used to be <laughs> and
2: it just and been you decorated.
3: and you sitting there with tears in your eyes you weren't you weren't even angry you were worse you were disappointed
2: oh no that makes me sound like your mum no it was <laughs> like what have i done to this woman who took a chance on me <laughs> oh well oh no the whole thing was awful the whole it was like a really really shit year of my life nothing yeah. to do with you well, there was... it was jinxed that poor magazine.
3: Um, I didn't know at that time, but apparently the pe- the board the the level above you at the board level,
2: apparently they all thought it was hilarious. Yeah, did they? Well, they didn't share that with us. No. They just kept making us go outside and calling fire alarms, and then standing on a box and announcing to the entire building that it was our fault that they were there. Well, my fault. <laughs> yeah, my. Fault. if you don't like being out here in the rain blame Minx. oh
3: god well blame kate spicer well <laughs> i mean you know that in my i mean i'd feel pretty bad if i did that now really but
2: you wouldn't do it now though would you do you think on the subject of change do you think that's connected in in any way to the kind of that menopausal time of life well or just change in general this is
3: a really big question because
2: my ex-boyfriend
3: one of the things that I mean, used to make me think he was quite a kind of noble, cool, f- sort of feminine, switched-on guy, was he told me that he was kind of held his mum's hand through the menopause because his father left her when she was menopausal. I mean, I shouldn't really be saying this, but I'm pretty sure he won't be listening. Um, Fingers crossed. And then, weirdly, you know, he... Him and I... Split up when I am really first start going through the menopause, so I think... You know, it's a very weird kind of trickle, isn't it? Menopause, the menopause, funny things change and change and change. And then eventually some weird physical event will happen. You'll be like, yeah, this is really happening now. It was almost to the day I started having this insane... I don't want to get too detailed. Cause the first day of this insane five-week period was on the day the whole relationship started to really fall apart. And it was almost like he could smell my hormones. <laughs> So, I don't know I mean I you know there are parts of me that wonder is he just has he just been simply switched off by the fact that my fertility is now just gone but I think that I mean I think that's probably paranoia I mean he has all sorts of all sorts of other things going on, but you do start looking at the menopause as something that is impacting on your life in different ways as soon as that happened, I told my g p sod off I don't want antidepressants I want HRT I cannot cope with this relationship breaking down while also having those strange change in ability to cope with things or anxiety or leaving your phone in the fridge constantly and and overnight it's like I've got me back it's like almost the minute I wipe the you know rub the gel on my arm maybe it's psychosomatic maybe it's placebo I just felt much better able to cope and get on with things so, regards change, I feel like change is constant. I think our hormones fluctuate loads throughout our life. I think change is constant. And I think that hormonal change was happening gradually and then it suddenly became something that was, wasn't just about change. It was about something that was really making my life complicated. And, once, and I knew there was a solution, so I just slapped that gel on. i felt, I felt the menopausal changes. I've seen slight changes but they were kind of a natural course of events.
1: They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And have you felt like you've been
3: age-shamed at all? I age-shame myself constantly. How does that manifest? I, You know when you wake up and you feel really, really good about yourself and you just see you at 30 in the mirror and you just think you look fantastic and actually that's all you really need, that could sw- a bit of swagger and you go out in the world because I think most beauty, does, most beauty comes from within and only very, very unpleasant men are attracted to purely good-looking women. I think most men with any texture or interest to them, looks is only a small part of what they're... But I age shame myself constantly because when it, it, when I notice the collagen is gone, that I, that hurts actually. That does hurt because the change in texture in your skin. My brother said to me once, and we have been not really late, but I was <laughs> I was just I was just leaving his house and um, he was just shutting the door, and I went, "Hang on a minute!" and I wanted to ask him something, and he went, "You look just like Aunt Anne," and just shut the door. <laughs> Oh, like, oh, my God. Oh, no, it's fine. We, that's the way we communicate with each other. It, it, it was fine. It wasn't it was a horrible thing. Uh, but my Aunt Anne is it's just, it's beautiful, but she's 85. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about wrinkles. It's about the changing way your skin folds because there isn't the collagen to kind of hold it out. And the same with the texture of the skin on your legs. And whenever I see that, my heart sinks just a tiny bit. But I, t- I try and sort of live with it. If, if you want to go back to California's big, I like to sit with it. <laughs> I like to sit with those uncomfortable feelings. You know, I don't think anybody truly loves and embraces losing their youthful bloom. But I think lots of people embrace just life's a bit more joyful when you're a bit more comfortable in your own skin, even if that skin's slightly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Are the people age-shaming me? Again, I wonder if it's a little bit like the baby thing. I wonder if people maybe don't dare because I don't feel like I've been age shamed but I see a lack of interest on the part of female editors, I might add, in Mm. hearing my story on an ongoing weekly basis because it's much nicer to hear a story from a girl whose face looks pretty which is fair enough, okay? I don't think it's personal but... I do see a lack of interest because I don't look sort of fuckend, but on the part of women as much as men.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm also very aware that that constant kind of sexual looking that happens between men and women and women and women that is less. But I wonder if that's just me because I had this very really really amazing day actually. Um, so my boyfriend and I been I mean sort of slowly. I'm still calling him my boyfriend. We kind of slowly breaking up over the last three months, and it's been quite mm, con- conscious uncoupling-ish. <laughs> but it's been painful. And And then I just had this breakthrough day when I was just kind of getting my mojo back, and I felt so fucking sexy. I don't mean, like, kind of, oh, I'm going to put on lots of lip gloss and make my lips look like a vagina and wear a tight dress and just be really hot. It wasn't that, I just just felt it vibrate in me maybe it's a hormonal thing I don't know I think it was a happiness thing I mean happiness mm. is kind of hormonal anyway um and I just felt it I felt that kind of mojo return and on that day so many men were kind of I mean in a respectful way it wasn't in a me too way but I could feel men looking at me again and I was looking at them and sort of thinking hmm I wonder what they'd be like in bed and and I yeah I just felt my kind of sexual energy rising again and so I didn't then feel age shamed by the fact that men didn't look at me anymore or see me as anything interesting I just realised actually it's what you project from within Um, ageism is everywhere Mm. ageism but age shame no, I haven't felt that sorry to disappoint no, that's good, I'm glad
2: maybe
3: maybe I don't notice because I'm too busy age shaming myself could be I mean I'm very aware of I'm very aware of what certain men but I've I've often felt very sensitive about the fact that I'm not like a hot woman. So I was very aware in my twenties, my teens, my twenties and my thirties that there's hot women and certain like men go men you call them modelizers. Yeah. And men only go for hot women. We were talking about them earlier, about they're actually kind of slightly useless, shallow men. But I was very aware that I would never be that woman who just, yeah. you know, everyone fancies. And then in my 40s, um, in my late 30s and my 40s, I stopped thinking that. And that was, I guess, an age-related thing. I just grew in confidence. Well, I stopped... You stopped thinking you wouldn't be that woman? Well, I stopped looking at other people and just was, was my, the woman I am rather than looking at a woman I'll never, ever, ever be. Um, and I didn't think of myself like that anymore. I was just like, well, I'm me. And um, and so that I, it's, that thing of talking about age shaming, you know, I, I think I sort of beauty shame myself. I think, you
2: know, women and men set up a very competitive culture for women. I Do you think, though, it's easier growing into yourself as an older woman or a middle-aged woman as... Is- you've been saying, um, if you weren't a person who was defined by your looks. That is just
3: massive. I think getting old is really, really hard for women who are really hot. And and what getting older has made me realise is how much I did rely on my looks. Really, like, you don't have to be that attractive to lean on your looks. And when you lose them, you, you do. I mean, I've, I've been guilty of this. You know, you run off have a injections or you, I mean, I, I've got some awesome girlfriends who work out really hard, go to doctors to have their faces fixed up. I mean, and they look amazing. But it just it's a little bit hard work. I'd rather be doing the work on myself rather than on the kind of the shell. I'd rather be doing the work on just growing into just being a magnificently happy woman. And I think if you're constantly focusing on your looks, you're growing only in a backward direction. You're not, that, there's no, that's not a route to joy. That's a route to constant, constant dissatisfaction. And those women, and some of them are incredible, like really powerful, brilliant. I, I admire them so much. But they're on a hiding to nothing and they're, they're scared they're really scared because that's everything and actually they're really funny they're talented they're well connected but the loss of their looks is is really really scaring them
2: but i don't i kind of think it's one of the things that's like about menopause for women it's like it's held up as this really fucking terrifying thing and at the end or empowering nothing there's nothing you're over and actually that really isn't the case
3: I felt frightened of what was on the other side. And I think a combination of HRT and time has made me realise it's all going to be great. Life's good. I think you need to concentrate on keeping your physical strength together. Mm. Not much older than me. I was 50 in July 2019. I've got friends who already got quite serious mobility problems.
2: What? At fifty, in their fifties. Oh my God, that's
3: frightening. Or they've got heart problems, or they've got diabetes. Like you have, really, got to look after the machine, because then I think you can have a. I mean, my the aunt I was just telling you about is eighty five, eighty six now. I stayed with her last January, and we went off walking our dogs together. And mm. she goes hiking up. She got a pole. She wears hiking boots, obviously very stable. And we were up hills. <clears throat> We're in the in the Brecon Beacons. We're uphill. She is so fit and she's disciplined as well. She said to me, you must get up in the morning. You can when you retire, you can't loll around in bed. It it will kill you, which I think is really interesting. It's about that,
2: having the, that, keeping those energy levels. That kind of goes for being freelance as well, though, doesn't it? Oh. Don't you find? It's like, mm. I really struggle with not having a structure. Yeah. And... Which brings us back to Wolfie. Wolfie gave you that you've-got-to-get-up structure.
3: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if you read the book, there are quite a few hangovers in there when Yeah. Wolfie was a noble, noble boy and locked his bladder down. <laughs> um, he'll probably become yeah. incredibly incontinent in old age and that will punish me for all the times I didn't take him out till, like, 11 in the morning. He, he could... Obviously, I mean, you wouldn't have to be a dog to smell the alcohol on my breath, but... He, I'd get in and he. it's like he would settle down he'd be like mm, I'm going to have a lovely big lie in on the giant dog bed in the sky so we'd just be he'd just love it because I'd just lie around like a dog for a few hours where normally I'd be like come on wolf here, off we go and so if you are a lazy person it's good to get um, it's good to get lurchers and whippets because they just like to sleep a lot <laughs> I think if you've got a spaniel you probably would really have to get up little tip there if you're a heavy drinking dog lover <laughs> yeah when you get older i think life's go- i think life's good but you like the scottish guy said like i realized you know you you've got to keep doing the work you can't settle into who you are as a person can't get too cozy with that and you've got to be you've got to be physical and you've got to get out in fresh air and you life doesn't happen to you i think you make life happen so tell me Tell me about your coping mechanisms. Well, interestingly enough, uh, I've always liked swimming um, in open water. And I'm a member of the Serpentine Swimming Club, which is a uh, 20 quid a year. And you can swim there in in the Serpentine in the middle of Hyde Park between 6 and 9.30 in the morning every day of the year. And So I'd go. I was a sort of fair weather Serpentine swimmer. Uh, and I'd never got beyond sort of mid-October. And then I was just like, it's too cold. It's not fun anymore. And then I'd not go. And the day that my boyfriend and I... It's been a series of confirmatory conversations whatnot. I said, oh, is there anything we can do to save this? And he just went, no, it's over. And I just put the dog on the lead and just walked out. And just walked out and went straight, straight to the serpentine and just walked straight into the water and just immersed myself in cold water. And I came out, so this is probably November time, and I came out and I just felt, I felt okay. I mean, I felt sad and I thought, God, I've got a lot of complicated things lying ahead. I don't have a lot of money. Where am I going to live? All sorts of really quite heavy thoughts. I gave that guy the last 10 years of my fertile life. All that heavy stuff, but I, I shocked my system and it was like a reboot and I just got up and got on with it. And so the cold water thing has become a bit of a, a ritual now. And it is incredibly it's so good mentally. It is like switching it off and switching it on again. Which often is all you need to do to fix things. Yeah, and not like just lie around thinking how shit everything is. Disaster. Go and jump in ice cold water. Wim Hof, I think he's he'd been packed in ice for eighty minutes or something. Oh my God. Maybe more, one hour fifty three minutes. So I'm a real newbie to this. But I really recommend it. It really strengthens the mind and the body and also tones up your thighs. <laughs> <laughs> An added bonus. It's nice being fit. Really nice being fit. I recommend it.
2: Now I'm going to ask you a few questions that I'm always going to ask Yeah. at the end. Okay. So what one thing would you like to tell younger women?
3: Well, I'm going to stick with the old The Work Never End theme. The work never ends, but make sure you're doing the right work. Don't obsess too much over your looks, but work hard on finding out who you are. And if you're feeling unhappy, find a way to shift that because you can. It's not about Botox and fillers and constantly working out in the gym. It's about having a strong body and a strong mind and loving yourself.
2: Have you done Botox and fillers? Oh, my word. Yeah,
3: I first did it for... Nova magazine never never went back to it it was just weird I was only 30 or something but yeah I made a documentary about it which of you which you can do. see on the internet for free called The Ugly Truth About Beauty and I went off and did loads of stuff over the years I've done a lot I try to stay away from it but sometimes sometimes it's a nice little boost uh, and there's this stuff called Profilo now which is doesn't target specific areas it just gives you back some collagen in your overall in your face. Botox and fillers kind of uh, they make your face feel weird, like it's not quite your own, like there's a golf yeah, course built inside you. Kind of your... numb
2: or something.
3: Yeah, numb, and you get odd headaches, and and you just don't look quite like you. So I try not to go there. I haven't been there for years, but I have. I do dabble in Profilo sometimes. Just sorry,
2: I'm not a perfect feminist. Who <laughs> is, frankly? Yeah. Um, what would your superpower
3: be? what an actual power I have that could be a superpower or what would I like to be. Whatever you want. Oh, well, right now I'd just like to, to make mon- money rain out of the sky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you work that out, tell
3: me. Yeah, well, you can come and stand on my cloud. I'd just yeah. like to have a money cloud. Imagine if every time you were blue, a cloud appeared over your head and just rained money, but then that, then you would think money would be the way to fix everything, which it isn't. But it would But it does help. I really feel like women have been served huge financial injustice, ongoing, constant and fed to you by your parents and the things they say about what money is and who earns it. I mean, oh, God, that makes me so angry, the fact that women don't feel entitled to money and aren't considered entitled to money by the people who dispense it. You know, the the whole thing of empowering women just with benefits should always go into the women's bank account. I can't bear the way that money has been an ongoing issue my entire life. And it's just a state of mind that has been taught to me by society, by my parents.
2: Some women just don't have the economic power, do they? They don't have the economic power, but
3: they don't think they they have it. Like, I think you can, I mean, I look at women who earn a lot of money and it's, some of it is about just their mindset and the way they think about themselves. It's not like they've suddenly acquired some skill that deserves money more than I do or you do. So yeah, right now I'd just I just like to be able to make it rain money. Bucket loads of it. Uh, That's a horrible superpower, isn't it? Well, it makes me sound really negative.
2: No, but I'm sure you'd share it. There's a
3: feminist point to it. So yeah, there, it, I can get it away totally
2: with it. It totally is. Totally. Um, And it's honest, anyway. Yeah. Have you got any
3: old bird role models? I I just don't even know where to start. There's so many brilliant older women, and I like women with style that they kind of pull off style in later life. I have, I really, really, I can see sometimes a kind of surrendering of caring about what I look like. Mm. Um, and I don't mean in terms of like my lips and my face. I just mean just my. What I wet my cl- and it's nice to just dress scruffy sometimes, but. Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> How could I have forgotten <laughs> Catherine Hepburn? There's a picture of her. Oh my word! I must post it on Instagram, but once every six months. There's a picture of her, and she's got quite old lady hair, a bun. She's wearing some beige trousers and a pair of really beaten up old New Balance trainers. That, is what I'm. I'm going to manifest, that life. It's like stylish and comfy and... Really battered trainers, itself. though. I mean, I really That's love good. old trainers. on Old trainers on a 75-year-old woman.
2: Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Um, and lastly, how many fucks do you give? Oh, well, now I'm single. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> um,
3: oh, I do care. I do care about... Um, I do care about things. I'm not like... I don't give a fuck, but... It is good to sometimes say to yourself, I don't give a fuck. Like when you think about what other people think or it's good to say it out loud. I don't give a fuck. It does. It does help you recover from sabotaging from another person or something. Even if it's not true.
2: Uh, It just feels like another pressure, doesn't it? You're not allowed to give any fucks. Yeah, it's a bit.
3: I think it can be a little bit try hard, a little bit inauthentic little bit of a t-shirt slogan but it does help to say it and it's a bit like smiling you know they do say just by smiling you can make yourself happy and maybe just by saying I don't give a fuck you can perhaps give a few less
2: fucks that's a lot of f-words that's all right. Um, Godmother to about eight children, which is what oh happens dear. when you don't have any children. <laughs> People give you theirs and they hope you'll buy lots of presents. Yeah, give them work experience. And what is what's next after Lost Dog? Um, well, I'm trying to
3: um, get this next book together, but I'm also just trying to firefight and make money and survive. And that means journalism. So until that money cloud comes over, uh, i 'm just writing for money, which is all i 've ever done really I just now i 've got you here and it 's in public. I do want to apologize for burning the office down. i, I know
2: <laughs> I did know it was a really tough time for you <laughs> it's okay i've like dined out on that for the last twenty years it's yeah fine. yeah it's a it 's a better story than
3: if say... My boyfriend worked in an office where someone would come in at the weekend and smear excrement all over the executive toilets.
2: No. Yeah,
3: so I, I, at least I didn't do that to you.
2: No, no, you didn't do that.
3: <laughs> Such a man thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's really aggressive, unpleasant thing to do.
3: Yeah, all I did was forget to blow out a centre candle.
2: <laughs> and burn down the newly decorated office. No, there was just a hole where my desk was. The, the office was fine
0: on
3: that
2: note yeah thanks Kate thanks Sam <laughs> thank you for listening I'd love to hear your feedback you can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker, using the hashtag TheShift you can hear a new episode of The Shift each week on Acast Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you hear please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us